Readings from the Liturgical Year by Dom Prosper Garanger. December 29th, St. Thomas, Archbishop of Canterbury and Martyr. Thomas was born in England, in the city of London. He succeeded Theobald as Bishop of Canterbury. He had previously acquitted himself with much honor as Chancellor, and was strenuous and unflinching in his duty as Bishop. For when Henry II, King of England, in an assembly of the bishops and nobles of the realm, passed certain laws, inconsistent with the interests and honor of the church, the bishop withstood the king's avarice so courageously that neither fair promises nor threats could draw him over to the king's side, and, being in danger of imprisonment, he privately withdrew. Not long after, all his relatives, young and old, all his friends and household, were banished, and such of them as had attained the age of discretion were made to promise on oath that they would go to Thomas, as perhaps he who could not be made to swerve from his holy purpose by any personal consideration might relent at the heart-rending spectacle of the sufferings of them that were dear to him. But he regarded not the demands of flesh and blood, neither did he permit the feelings of natural affection to weaken the firmness required of him as bishop. He therefore repaired to Pope Alexander III, whom he had met with a kind reception, and who commended him on his departure to the Cistercian monks of Pontigny. As soon as Henry came to know this, he strove to have Thomas expelled from Pontigny, and for this purpose sent threatening letters to the general chapter of Cito. Whereupon the holy man, fearing lest the Cistercian order should be made to suffer on his account, left the monastery of his own accord, and betook himself to the hospitable shelter to which he had been invited by Louis, king of France. There he remained until by the intervention of the Pope and Louis the king, he was called home from his banishment, to the joy of the whole kingdom. While resuming the intrepid discharge of the duty of a good shepherd, certain calumniators denounced him to King Henry as one that was plotting sundry things against the country and the public peace. Wherefore the king was heard frequently complaining that there was only one priest in his kingdom with whom he could not be in peace. Certain wicked satellites concluded from this expression of the king that he would be pleased at their ridding him of Thomas. Accordingly, they stealthily enter Canterbury, and finding the bishop was in the church officiating at Vespers, they began their attack. The clergy were using means to prevent them from entering the church, when the saint, coming to them, forbade their opposition, and opening the door, thus spoke to them, The church is not to be guarded like a citadel, and I am glad to die for God's church. Then turning to the soldiers, he said, I command you, in the name of God, that you hurt not any of them that are with me. After this, he knelt down, and commending his church and himself to God, to the Blessed Mary, to St. Denis, and to the other patron saints of his cathedral. And with the same courage that he had shown in resisting the king's execrable laws, he bowed down his head to the impious murderers on the 4th of the Calends of January, December 29th, in the year of our Lord, 1171. His brains were scattered on the floor of the entire church. God having shown the holiness of his servant by many miracles, he was canonized by the same pope, Alexander III. O glorious martyr Thomas, courageous defender of the church of thy divine master, 
We come on this day of thy feast to do honor to the wonderful graces bestowed upon thee by God. As children of the church, we look with delighted admiration on him who so loved her, and to whom the honor of this spouse of Christ was so dear, that he gladly sacrificed his life in order to secure her independence and liberty. Because thou didst so love the church as to sacrifice thy peace, thy temporal happiness, and thy very life for her, because, too, thy sacrifice was for nothing of thine own, but for God alone. Therefore have the tongues of sinners and cowards spoken ill of thee, and heaped calumnies upon thee. O martyr, truly worthy of the name! For the testimony thou didst render was against thine own interests. O pastor, who after the example of Jesus the Good Shepherd didst shed thy blood for the deliverance of thy flock, we venerate thee because the enemies of the church insulted thee. We love thee, because they hated thee. And we humbly ask thee to pardon them that have been ashamed of thee, and have wished that thy martyrdom had never been written in the history of the church, because they could not understand it. How great is thy glory, O faithful bishop, in being chosen, together with Stephen, John, and the innocents, to attend on the infant Jesus in the stable of Bethlehem. Thou didst enter on the battlefield at the eleventh hour, and far from being on that account deprived of the reward granted to the earliest of thy brother combatants, thou art great even among the martyrs. How dear must thou not be to the divine babe, whose birthday we are keeping, and who came into the world that he might be the king of martyrs! What will he refuse to his grand martyr of Canterbury? Then pray for us, and gain us admission into Bethlehem. Our ambition is to love the church as thou didst, that dear church, for the love of which Jesus has come down upon the earth, that sweet church, our mother, who is now unfolding to us such heavenly consolations by the celebration of the great mysteries of Christmas, with which thy name is now inseparably associated. Get us, by thy prayers, the grace of fortitude, that so we may courageously go through any suffering and make any sacrifice rather than dishonor our proud title of Catholic. Speak for us to the infant Jesus, to him that is to bear the cross upon his shoulders, as the insignia of his government, and tell him that we are resolved by the assistance of his grace never to be ashamed of his cause or its defenders. That full of filial simple love for the Holy Church which he has given to us to be our mother, we will ever put her interests above all others. For she alone has the words of eternal life. She alone has the power and the authority to lead men to that better world, which is our last end, and passes not away as do the things of this world. For everything in this world is but vanity, illusion, and more frequently than not, obstacles to the only real happiness of mankind. But in order that this holy church of God may fulfill her mission and avoid the snares which are being laid for her along the whole road of her earthly pilgrimage, she has need above all things else of pastors like thee, O holy martyr of Christ. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the vineyard, that he send her laborers, who will not only plant and water what they plant, but will also defend her from these enemies that are at all times seeking to enter in and lay waste and whose character is marked by the sacred scripture, 
where she calls them the wild boar and the fox. May the voice of thy blood cry out more suppliantly than ever to God, for in these days of anarchy the Church of Christ is treated in many lands as the creature and slave of the state. Pray for thine own dear England, which three hundred years ago made shipwreck of the faith through the apostasy of so many prelates, who submitted to these usurpations which thou didst resist even unto blood. Now that the faith is reviving in her midst, stretch out thy helping hand to her, and thus avenge the outrages offered to thy venerable name by thy country when she, the once fair isle of the saints, was sinking into the abyss of heresy. Pray also for the Church of France, for she harbored thee in thy exile, and in times past was fervent in her devotion to thee. Obtain for her bishops the spirit that animated thee, arm them with the episcopal courage, and like thee they will save the liberty of the Church. Wheresoever and in what way soever this sacred liberty is trampled on or threatened, do thou be its deliverer and guardian, and by thy prayers and thine example win victory for the spouse of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our newborn king is five days old today. Let us contemplate him seated on his throne. The Holy Scriptures tell us that our God sitteth upon the cherubim in heaven, and that, under the old and figurative law, he chose this for his throne on earth, the Ark of the Covenant. Blessed be his name for thus revealing to us the mystery of his throne. But beyond this, the psalmist told us of another place where God rested. Adore, said he, the footstool of his feet. The adoration here commanded to be paid, not to God himself, but to the resting place of his divine majesty, seems to contrast with so many other passages of the sacred volume, wherein God commands us to adore only himself. But, as the Holy Fathers observe, the mystery is now explained. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word, the Son of God, has assumed our human nature. He has united it in unity of person to his divine nature, and he commands us to adore this his humanity, this body and soul which are like our own, this throne of his majesty, in a word, this ineffable holy footstool of his feet. But this humanity itself has its throne. The Blessed Mother, Mary, raises the divine infant from the crib. She presses him to her heart. She places him on her knees. It is our God, Emmanuel, throned, but with such love and majesty, on the Ark of the Covenant. How far is the glory of Mary above that of the other living throne formed for the eternal word by the trembling wings of cherubim? And the ark of Moses made of corruptible wood, covered with plates of gold, and holding within it the manna and the rod of Aaron and the very tables of the law. Is it not a figure that pales in the presence of the holiness and the dignity of the mother of God? How adorable art thou on this throne, O Jesus, and how lovable and easy of approach! Those tiny hands stretched out to sinners, and the smile of Mary, the living throne, both bid us go near. O oh, the happiness of being subjects of a king so great and yet so endearing! Mary is the seat of wisdom, because thou, O wisdom of the Father, art reposing on her. Reign there forever, sweet Jesus, 
be thou our King and Lord, and rule us in thy comeliness and beauty and meekness. We are thy subjects, and we offer thee our adoring loyalty and love. And to Mary, the Queen thou hast given us, we promise the homage of our best devotion. <laughs> 